0: Uh, get your Bibles out um, to the book of Ruth. I'm actually going to start at the end and uh, kind of summarize uh, the book of Ruth with these verses. It's also in your notes if you've got your worship folder with you. Um, Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And this is the summary of Ruth. Uh, this is how the book of Ruth basically ends, and um, what I believe that God wants us to see if we're going to um, look at kind of the major theme of Ruth and what we have to learn from uh, this book of the Bible. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more is more to you than seven sons. She has given birth to him. Last week, uh, if you were here, you got to meet the Kims. They, they are missionaries to the Netherlands. And so we got to sit down and hear what God is doing in their ministry a little bit. And the night before, I spent several hours, Emily and I spent several hours with them and getting to hear uh, different stories from their ministry and what God is doing in the Netherlands. And one of the stories that they shared with us was about this small church that was there when they arrived. And they said um, this small church, uh, every time they would have a service on Sunday morning, they would wait basically for the family who was a part of this church and the people who they knew were a part of this church. And before they would begin worshiping, then they would lock the doors before they started their worship service. Well, after a, a little while, uh, they began to pray and think about that. And they just thought, well, this didn't really seem like something that God's church would do, that they would lock their doors during a worship service to keep people out. And so they began to feel convicted about this and said, we're no longer going to lock our doors to keep people out, but instead we're going to unlock them. And then we're going to be, pray that God sends people to us, and that God places people in our church. Well, wouldn't you know it, a, a few weeks later, an Iranian couple walks into their church. And so they are welcomed and greeted, and they become part of their church family. It's not a very large church, and so it's very intimate, and people are getting to know one another. And so this couple is there for... Several weeks, they were refugees uh, from Iran, and uh, they began to get assimilated into their church culture, into the culture there, and then they discovered something. Uh, They were no longer able to get aid from the Netherlands and from their government because of the way the policy works there, from the way that I understood it, and the missionaries described it, is because they landed in France, um, they needed to stay in France if they were going to be taken care of. And so if they were going to have housing, if they were going to eat, um, if uh, basically, if they were going to survive, they needed to go back to France. And so they went to their church family and they said, so, thank you so much for helping take care of us and accepting us and being there for us. But we have to go back to France uh, for these reasons. And so the, the church then approached them and said, well, hold on a second. What if. You lived here in the church and what if we provided for you while you learned our language while before you find a job and while you get on your feet. And so this couple who had been there and had already started to learn the language had already started to assimilate into this community, uh, decided to stay and to be a part of this church. You know, this is a a story of the church being the church. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of immigrants leaving one place for another. And one of the things that we know uh, as you read about people who leave and read about people who travel, maybe it's your own ancestors or maybe it's people that you know, you know that it's difficult to leave another country for another. You don't know the language. Uh, You don't know the people. Uh, You don't know the culture. Uh, You're not sure how you're going to provide for yourselves. And people leave for all sorts of reasons. Uh, Some people, right, they, they leave a bad situation in hope of a better, or they leave a good situation even in hope of a better. And so they leave with a lot of hope, and they leave to maybe pursue their dreams in another country. And other people, kind of like this Iranian couple... Presumably or or possibly uh, they they leave and they leave their hopes behind when they leave, right? They might be forced to leave or they might just know that the place in which they are at, they can they can no longer remain. The reason I tell you all of this is because the book of Ruth is about two immigrants. The book of Ruth is about two ladies who have left. Who decides to leave. You have Naomi. Who left Israel for Moab. And decides to leave Moab again. And you have Ruth. A Moabite. Who decides to leave Moab for Israel. What we see here is two ladies that exhibit a great amount of courage. And a great amount of faith in God. But ultimately. As we look at this story. As we look at the book, book of Ruth. It's about a story of redemption, and God at work in them moving. So, here's what takes place. As the book starts, these ladies, both Naomi and Ruth, they're in Moab. These are the two main characters of the story. Well, they get to Moab because Naomi, Naomi is or travels, excuse me, with her husband El- Elimelech. From Israel to Moab, Elimelech convinced his wife to leave Israel because there's a famine in Israel. And so they move to Moab in hopes of a better life. Well, while in Moab, they have two sons, uh, Malchon and Chilion, right? And they, these two sons then marry Canaanite women, one named Orpha, the other named Ruth. Are you following here? You got everybody straight? All right. You got Boaz, or not, excuse me, not Boaz, I'm not there yet. You've got Naomi and Elimelech. They're the parents. And you've got two sons. They've got two sons, Malhan and Chilon. They then have two wives. They marry, Orpha and Ruth. Now, they move there hoping for a better life. They moved there to get away from the drought that was taking place, from the famine that was taking place. And as they moved, Elimelech, an Israelite, a man who was supposed to be a God-fearing and God-worshipping man, as he moved, what he actually decided to do is to assimilate into Moab, a providence of Canaan. And so, we, from what we can tell, he probably accepted the Canaanite gods. In the Canaanite culture, in fact, both of his sons are named Canaanite names. And so what we see him doing is we see him leaving Israel and then going to Moab and trying to assimilate in their culture for a better life, to gain more wealth, to gain more prosperity. However, what we see happen is the exact opposite. He loses his life and both of his sons die. And then Naomi is left there as a widow without any sons, without anybody to take care of her, with nothing. They expected a better life, but instead it turned out completely different for Naomi. And so now Naomi is left in a foreign place without any husband or without any sons to take care of her or to protect her. So she's left with an option here. What should she do? Does she stay in this foreign country? Or does she go back to Israel? Either way, she's left without a whole lot of hope. She has nothing. She's older, so she can't remarry. She's also really unable to take care of herself, to provide for herself, is what we gather. But she makes the decision. She makes the decision to travel back Israel, back to her homeland. But not, she's not real happy about it. In fact, one of the things that she says as she's kind of heading back is, don't call me Naomi, instead call me Mara or call me bitter. She's, she's, she's upset because she doesn't know what to do at the beginning of the book. And yet we get to the end and in verse 15, chapter four there, it says that she is redeemed. That Naomi is redeemed. So how is this? Well, the book of Naomi gives us three redeemers. There's three redeemers. The first is Ruth. Obviously, the book is named after Ruth. In verse 15, what we are told, and Naomi is being spoken to here in chapter four. What I wrote to, you, what I read to you there. But what we're told is, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons. So we're talking about Ruth here. Is Naomi's daughter-in-law who loves her, and this is one of her redeemers. Now Ruth here shows her love for Naomi and shows that she is a redeemer for Naomi out of her love for her mother-in-law. This is one of the things that we learn from Ruth is how to love. And what do we see here in Ruth as she loves her mother-in-law? Well, we see that she loves her mother-in-law more or as much as she loves herself. She loves her mother-in-law more or as much as she loves herself. It goes on to say that she is better than seven sons. Well, why is that a compliment? Why is that a compliment? Well, seven is the number for perfection in the Bible, sons implies that you have a perfect family. And so it was, in traditional family, it was more advantageous to have sons because they could work their fields, they could provide armies, they could protect, all of those sorts of things. And so what we're told here is that Ruth is better than seven sons. She's better than the perfect family. She's, she's better than all of that. That Ruth's love is perfect here. So Naomi has somebody who loves her perfect, who loves her perfectly. And what does that look like? So when Naomi goes to leave Moab, she tells her daughter-in-laws, she says, here's the thing. I have I have really no hope. You have no hope if you go back to Israel with me. I'm too old. I can't remarry. I don't have anything there for you. We have no land. Elimelech sold it before we moved. And so we are going back to be nothing. I will be a beggar and you will be a beggar with me if you go with me. And Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, both Orpha and Ruth, Ruth, if you stay here, though, you're young enough to remarry. You have family here in Moab Uh, you have, you know, the culture. You are good to go if you stay here. And so you don't need to come with me now. Orpha agrees. She agrees to stay. but Ruth Ruth responds a completely different way. This is what Ruth says in chapter one, verses 16 and 17 to Naomi. She says do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go I will go and where you lodge I will lodge your people shall be my people and your god my god where you die I will die and will and there I will be buried may the lord do to me may the lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you now these are astounding words from Ruth Because they teach us something about Ruth. They teach us about her belief and about her character. Ruth here, if she leaves and goes with Naomi, she is leaving comfort behind. If she leaves and goes with Naomi, she is leaving comfort behind. She's leaving the culture she knew behind. She's leaving the land she knew behind. She's leaving the family she knew behind. And she's going to a place where she basically will be delegated as a second-class citizen. But Naomi resp- or Ruth responds in this way, May the Lord deal with me. Now when she says, May the Lord deal with me there, what she actually says is, May Yahweh deal with me. This is the name of the Israel- Israelites' God. She says, Naomi, may your God deal with me. May God take care of me if I decide to do this. Now this is this a tough decision. Her to make, but it's a decision based on faith that God will deal with her the way that she needs to be dealt with. She can remarry if she stays, but she's going to suffer if she goes. Now, if she goes, on the other hand, what she will do is she will travel to a land that shares faith in her God. So she stays in Moab. She's in a place that they don't believe in God. They don't believe they don't worship the God that she worships, but her life is going to be easier financially. It's going to be easier on her culturally, all of those sorts of things. But she thinks her her faith will probably die. But if she goes to Israel, her life is going to be more difficult, but she's going to be around people who believe the same same thing she does, who trust in the same God she does. She decides to go just trusting that the Lord is going to take care of me if I do that. So she leaves because she trusts in God. The second reason that she leaves is because she believes it's the right thing to do for Naomi. You see, Naomi is likely going to die without her. She's too old to get through herself. She's too old to provide for herself. She's too old to protect herself. And so for Naomi to live, Ruth has to give up her life. Ruth has to lay down her life. Ruth has to give up what she believes are her hopes and her dreams a new start, a fresh start to take care of Naomi. This is how Ruth becomes Naomi's redeemer. She lays her life down for Naomi. And so this is the first redeemer that we have. Now, what do we learn from Ruth? Like, what's the application? There's some information about Ruth. So what's the application to our own lives as we contemplate who Ruth is? Well, the first is the spiritual power of friendship. Friendship is extremely important for the believer. It's extremely important to the believer. This is how I believe that Ruth came to faith. Ruth was living in Moab. Ruth was living in a land of, uh, of different gods, of a whole different culture, of a whole different way of life. So how did Ruth discover Yahweh? How did how did Ruth discover the God of Israel here through Naomi? Ruth must have seen Naomi suffer well, with dignity and with faith, as she lost her husband and lost her children. Ruth's life is ultimately changed through friendship here. It's likely that Ruth never really heard a sermon. Ruth probably didn't hear a whole lot of really good arguments about why this God is better, why this God is true, why this God is real. Ruth's life wasn't changed by a sermon. It wasn't changed by a crafty argument. And it wasn't changed by a government program. Ruth's life is changed through friendship. This is the best way to change lives. It is. This is the best way to change lives. This is the best way for a changed life to stay changed. This is one of the reasons that I encourage everybody to get involved in a growth group. To make friends with people here in the church. Because for lasting change to take place, you're going to need somebody to walk through life with. Friendship is so important here to get around godly people. Friends are the things that make the world a better place. So I know like some of us, like we want to be involved in all of these activities. And we think that as long as we're doing all of this stuff and we're busy, we're making the world a better place. But if you aren't stopping and if you aren't slowing down and if you aren't being with people who are following God, if you're not making time for that, you're actually kind of working against the grain if you're trying to make the world a better place. If you aren't with somebody and you aren't encouraging them to follow Christ, if you don't have somebody in your life that isn't encouraging you to follow Christ and a friend like that, somebody who can speak into your life, you're not going to do a very good job at making the world a better place because friends are needed. Here, Ruth helps define who friends are. She tells Naomi, she says, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. It's the people who are going to spend time with you and are going to do so consistently. These are hard to find. These are, this, is, this is a difficult thing to have in our lives anymore because of the busyness that takes place. because we don't let a whole lot of people sometimes in our lives anymore. But there's this godly power and friendship. The second thing we learn from Ruth is the radical radical call to discipleship. You know, friends give us the courage to be disciples. They do. Friends give us the courage to be disciples. Ruth tells Naomi, not death itself will keep me from you you see that by leaving Moab Ruth is laying down her life for Naomi may the Lord deal with me this is the right thing to do not only by Naomi but by God this is still our call it's interesting um, Peter is having this conversation and the disciples are listening on it in on it and Peter basically says to Jesus he says see we've left everything to follow you we've left our houses behind, our brothers and our sisters, everything to follow you. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I I, I see that you've left everything to follow me. You've left houses behind. You've left families behind. You've left it all behind to follow me. And I promise that it will be better for you in the age to come than it will be for anyone else. And then Jesus says these words. He says, the. The first will be last and the last will be first. Life will be greater for those who give everything up than for those who give nothing up. I wrote this down. Now, do you trust that by laying your life down that God will lift it up? Do you trust? Do you really believe those words? One of the things that we see here is that God can take a person who is willing to be last and make him first, but he can't take a person who desires to be first in all things and keep him first. God is going to take the people who lay their lives down, who give it to him, who serve other people humbly, who love others and love God, and he's going to lift them up. These are the people who will be first in the kingdom of God. Ruth helps teach us that. The second redeemer we see in the book of Ruth is by a man named Boaz. Ruth and Naomi, they travel to Bethlehem. That's where they're from. That's where Naomi is originally from. So they travel back... To Bethlehem and Ruth goes out into the field and she starts to glean. Gleaning is a process where you're at the edge of the fields and you're basically you're picking the grain to take back to your home. Uh, this was what poor people did to survive. And so wealthy landowners, what they would do is they would plant a field, but they couldn't harvest the edges. This is a law that God had given them to help take care of the poor. And so the poor then would basically harvest the edges of the field so that they could take it home to themselves. Now, this was a dangerous thing, though, for Naomi because she's a Moabite. If you read the book of Ruth, what what you'll discover is that they keep calling her a Moabite. To point this out, she's different than they are. She looks different. She sounds different. She's from a foreign culture. All of those sorts of things. And so it's dangerous because the people in the field, the other even poor people in the field and the wealthy people in the field, they see her as somebody less. They are superior than she is because of her her race. And so what needs to happen here is that she needs to be protected unless she is going to be taken advantage of. It's human nature to take advantage of people who don't look like us. It's human nature to 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 put people into classes even people who are in the same economic class than you are, even if they look different than you, we can push them away. We can demonize them. And so she's in the field. This is a very dangerous thing for her. The Moabites had been at war with Israel. They are actually two descendants of Sodomites from Sodom and Gomorrah. And she is not seen as equal and she is at risk. And so Boaz, the owner of this field, looks out in the field and he sees this Moabite there who is picking grain. And this is what he says. He says, now, listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz looks out there and he sees Ruth and he he recognizes that she can be raped, that she can be hurt that she can be killed. And what he does is he tells his workers, he tells his men not to touch her. Keep your hands off of her. And then he tells her, keep close to my young women who are part of my workers who help harvest. And you can actually harvest with them. And whatever they whatever you harvest, you are allowed to take home then to your mother in law, Naomi. And so Boaz provides for her He gives her as much grain as she wants to take home from Naomi, as much water as she wants to take home to Naomi. And she does this and she arrives back to Naomi. And this is what Naomi has to say to her. She says in chapter 2, verse 20, May he be blessed by the Lord, talking about Boaz here, whose kindness is not forsaking the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. Wow. So, what Naomi here is telling Ruth is that Boaz is their kinsman redeemer. And so what what does that mean? What does that mean? First, to kind of understand what's going on here, is when the people of God entered Israel, what God did is he divided up all the lands equally, kind of among the families. And so certain families had uh, lots of land that were given to them that they were to farm. Um, you needed land to be wealthy. You needed land to survive. Um, and so all of these were divided up. Well, God knew what human nature was like. And so in our own sinfulness and in our inability maybe to steward, um through the different means in which we are able to steward, take care of things, not take care of things. He knew that land would get sold. He knew that people would lose their land, that they would lose their wealth, and other people would acquire it. And so God put some provisions in uh, to basically make sure that um, people weren't taken advantage of. And so in Leviticus 25, we see two laws and provisions that basically keep the poverty gap from growing too large. To keep basically the gap between the wealthy and the poor from getting too big and also to keep families together. And here's what they are. The first was the year of Jubilee. And so every 50 years, what would happen is those who have bought the land from these families who had lost it would have to give the land back to the families so they could restart so that they could regain their wealth and so that these families could come back together and have a fresh start of life. The second thing that could happen is in between those 50 years, a relative could buy that land back at a fair price during those 50 years, between the year of Jubilee. And so what Naomi is hoping for is that Boaz will buy that land back and then her family will inherit it. The trouble is, is that Naomi is too old for Boaz to marry. Because for Boaz to buy this land, he has to marry either Naomi or Ruth. But if he marries Naomi, she can't produce children. She can't give him children. She can't give him a family. Uh, so there's going to be nobody to pass the land onto. And then people didn't marry for love uh, and the traditional family. What they married for is family. They married to have children. They married to pass things down to. And so Naomi knew that she couldn't give Boaz a family, so Boaz is not going to marry her. And so basically the second option here is that maybe Boaz can marry Ruth. This is an option, but Ruth is a Moabite. She's a second-class citizen. She's an enemy of Israel. So So this means that Boaz would have to marry Ruth the Moabite and acquire debt and then provide for her and give everything that he owns to this Moabite for Boaz actually to be a kinsman redeemer and buy this back. This is what Naomi's idea is. It's a long shot. But she tells Ruth, hey, go and ask. Go ask Boaz to marry you. Right? Another thing, uh, that typically women didn't do. But here's what we're told uh, the plan uh, consists of here. Ruth 3.9. Before we get there, Naomi is telling Ruth, basically what I want you to do is I want you to sneak into his room. I want you to lay on the foot of his bed. You saw the guy screaming there on the video. And I want you to ask him to spread your wings over me. In other words, I want you to ask him, ask him for him to marry you. And so this is what Ruth does in verse three nine, in chapter three, verse nine. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Boaz looks at this man and says, "Will you be kind to me? Will you be kind to my mother in law and I? And will you redeem us? Will you marry me? Will you give me an inheritance? Will you take care of me?" And Boaz agrees. He says he will. And so Boaz becomes their redeemer. He marries Ruth. He takes on the debt by paying for the field, paying for the land that was once theirs, and he will leave it to Ruth and her sons. Everything that he owns will become theirs as he buys this back. This is what makes Ruth a redeemer, or Boaz their redeemer, is that he gives them a whole new life, and he takes on debt, to do it, one of the things that we are told that characterizes Boaz is his kindness, right? and so that's that's just the application point that I want to put on you guys today and give you guys to say as we're looking at Ruth, what do we see from Boaz as a redeemer? We see his kindness. Ruth is told that she is better than seven sons. One of the things that was valued in traditional life was the perfect family. And so Ruth is told, or Naomi is told, that Ruth is better than the perfect family because she has shown her perfect love by giving up all of her life. Well, Boaz here marries a Moabite. Uh, I mean, can you, can you imagine the whispers? You, you see, you, that Boaz guy, he married a Moabite. Why would he do that? He's not supposed to do that. He's... He's going to give all of what to her? He's going to have kids with her? He's, he's going to start a family with her? What we see here is that Boaz isn't concerned about the perfect family. He's not concerned about the voices or the whispers or what others may consider, the things that make you superior One of the things that Ruth teaches us is that the attitude of superiority should not be had by believers. It's not something that we should carry around with us. It's confronted. You see, here, in this culture, we are taught that men are superior. However, the book of Ruth says that it's not true. Ruth is better than seven sons. We're told and basically a traditional culture that the family, a perfect family is what we should lift up, whether or not we're able to have kids, get married, all of those sorts of things, the right person to be in the form, the right children and all of those things. And yet Ruth and Boaz here, they defy that. You've got to marry the person who looks a particular way. Right. traditional marriage had to do a lot with race. And yet here we see an interracial marriage between Boaz and Ruth. They ignore that. This is important for us. To see the kindness of Boaz is important for us. It's important because we need to show kindness to others and you need to show kindness to yourself. You know, perhaps you feel inferior You think that because of your past, that God will never receive you, that God will never love you, that God will never accept you. And yet here we see Boaz taking in Ruth. We see that we, you might feel inferior because your family hasn't turned out the right way you hoped it would. You don't have the perfect family. Maybe you're single and you just feel like you're not a complete person. And yet here we're told that family is not the most important thing in your life. Neither is having a perfect one. And maybe you're over all of that, right? Because culture is kind of telling you like none of those things are important almost at all anymore. But here's the thing, like we always we always will find ways to feel superior to other people or we will find things that we think that if we can get there, it'll help us to be more superior, to be more complete. And so maybe you're over the perfect family. You, you don't believe that men are superior already by right? all of those sorts of things that so, ah, that that doesn't really apply to me. But here's what you'll do. You'll believe that you need to have like the perfect body. That's that's what will allow you to be accepted, or you you believe that you might have to have the perfect job, and as long as you get that, like you can, you're in. You can do it. You believe that you might have to have the perfect calendar, hang out with the right people all the time, have the perfect job. Here, though, we're no. That that is that is not what God cares about, and as long as those become the most important things in our lives, right? We'll be like the people who probably are whispering in the background. We'll super, feel superior. We'll make people live up to our standards all the time. Well, they don't have the perfect body. They don't have the perfect job. They don't. They don't do this, and so you begin to feel superior here, and you're no longer kind to anyone you'll criticize you'll demonize and stigmatize people who are different than you. Boaz in the book of Ruth teaches us about kindness and it teaches us about the grace of God here and receiving those. Who need to be received and who need to be loved and who needs to be taken care of. The third redeemer is a redeemer we all need to look to. And it's the son that's born in Bethlehem. And that is the Redeemer that is being focused on in the verses in chapter four, verses three or thirteen through fifteen. We're told that he shall be great. He shall be great. The great Redeemer is born in Bethlehem. In this book. Does that sound familiar? Anybody, you guys like see what the Bible is doing here? Ruth gives birth to Obed. Obed gives birth to Jesse. Jesse gives birth to King David. Out of King David's line is going to come King Jesus. Jesus himself, like Ruth, left everything behind. He left heaven for earth. He left his father's house for the house of the disciples, for the houses of the poor, for the houses of the broken. He left perfection for imperfection. He left pleasure for trouble and for death. Jesus is a better Ruth. Jesus left and became friends with us. He became friends with people so that people could become friends with God. Jesus is like Boaz, but he's better than Boaz. Like Boaz, he pays our debt. Unlike Boaz, he lives a perfect life. Jesus doesn't just show us how to live a good life. Jesus is the good life. And although we fall short, his death is God's grace and kindness in our life. Jesus, like Boaz, he leaves us an inheritance. Everything that belongs to him belongs to us. We are going to receive everything from Jesus. We are going to receive his wealth. So my challenge to you this morning is yes, to reflect on Ruth and Boaz, the friendship that they shared, the discipleship the type of discipleship that we are called to the type of type of grace and kindness we should extend to others. But more than all of that, more than all of that, we are called to follow Christ. And like Ruth, say this, may the Lord deal with me. May the Lord deal with me. In life and in death. This morning, I don't know where you are, um, I don't know what in this story took, stood out to you. I don't, it may be that, hey, you need to find some godly friends. Uh, it may be that, you know, your discipleship may need you to ramp up. Like, you're only, I'm only following Christ when it's easy. But when God calls me to something difficult, right, no. Uh, it might be that you just need to show some kindness in your life. Hey, you, you, you might criticize others very quickly and very easily and separate yourselves from other people. So these are things for all of us to think about. But the most important thing for us to think about, right, the most important thing for us to decide, is may the Lord deal with us. May we trust God with all of our lives. May we trust Christ with all of our lives. All of those important all of those decisions are important things to make. But the most important thing for you to make is for you to decide to follow Christ. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to say like Ruth, may the Lord deal with me this morning. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing one last song here. Um, if you have anything that you need to pray about this morning as we sing this last song, the altars are open. Um, I invite you to come to the altars um, and uh, I'll pray with you too if you want to. Um, But let us pray. Father, this morning we give you thanks. We give you thanks for somebody like Ruth. We give you thanks for Naomi. We give you thanks for Boaz. We give you thanks for your word. I pray, Father, that um, because of the faithfulness of Naomi, because of the faithfulness of Ruth, because of the faithfulness of Boaz, Father, I pray, Father, that we become more faithful. I pray, Father, that you convict us where we need to be convicted. I pray, Father, that you guide us in godly friendships. I pray, Father that you help us to be fearless disciples that are going to follow you even when it gets tough that we're willing to lay down our lives so that you might lift them up that we might trust that a life with you is better than a life without you that we might see that although Ruth thought she was giving up all of her life you gave her so much more than she ever expected you gave her a family you gave her a new land Father, and you use her to redeem the rest of us, to redeem the world. Might we just trust that when we decide to give your life up, that you're going to give us a better life. What might we trust that when we give our lives up, that you give other people a better life because of what you have done and what you're going to do through them. Father, I know that there may be people here But they would never say those words or they never have said those words. May the Lord deal with me. May, may He deal with me in this life and whether I live or die, I'm going to follow the Lord. I pray, Father, that this morning somebody makes the decision that they're going to follow You no matter what. I pray, Father, that they give their life to You. That they turn from their old life, that they turn from Moab, that they turn from Canaan, and they turn towards Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to redeem us. We thank you for coming down from heaven, coming to earth, living the perfect life. Not just showing us how to live a perfect life, but living the life for us. And dying on the cross for our sins, paying our debt. And then rising again. And telling us and showing us All that God has will belong to us one day. That we are His inheritance and we will receive an inheritance from Him. Father, might somebody receive Christ into their life by Your Spirit this morning. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.